interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna play? You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. Be afraid. No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Ghouls and gore. And sometimes a little more. My bloody podcast. <laughs> Good afternoon good evening good morning it's the dusk and the dawn of our fantastic podcast titled my bloody podcast so excited for this episode today here i'm brian kluger with boomstick comics and high def digest and i am joined by my vampire hunter in crime uh, he carries a torso and a head and plays guitar while we're killing vampires together. Preston Barta of the Denton Record Chronicle and FreshFiction.tv. Are you excited for today? Yeah, man. 69, dudes. <laughs> it is our 69th episode. Oh, my goodness. I am fucking naked right now. What about you? Just bottomless. The Just part bottomless. That counts. Preston doesn't like to show his nips. <laughs> yeah, very insecure about the nips because they're like uh, they're like eight inch nipples, are... right? Yeah, they they look like uh, John Lovitz from uh, Benchwarmers, like purple <laughs> nurpled to death. They're just not there. Do you do this to yourself, or is this you were born yes, with it? Self inflicted. Self inflicted. <laughs> I I felt like I. Uh, wasn't bullied enough and i needed to do it to myself that's yeah that's awful yeah you're a badass man uh so this is our 69th episode and preston when we started out with episode one a long time ago do you think we would have made it to 69 no i did not but i'm glad we're here this is this is where we've been going to all along that's true it's over after this yeah that's it (laughs) Uh, so, like, so in the beginning... Or we can start titling it 69.1, I like that, actually. Uh, so when we first started, how long do you think we would have gone for? I don't know. I, I, I didn't know, like, if, if it was going to be successful or if it was just going to be something like, Hey, it's fun to do. And I like to talk about movies and it's a way for me to kind of talk extensively about it since I can only talk to my wife about it for so long. But, uh, I, I honestly thought that it might've probably fizzled out by now, but, uh, I don't have any plans of, uh, stopping now. I, I enjoy doing it. I enjoy talking to you each week and I, I like uh, that it forces me to sit down to watch something that I either haven't seen in a long time or have never seen before. And so it, it's just like it's become like a new hobby of mine to really explore horror films with you, Brian. Yes, it, it, I, 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 uh, I feel the same way. And I'm just glad because I've known Preston a little while, but there was a time where Preston wasn't into horror like he is now i mean hell now we have t-shirts made right (laughs) yeah yeah and uh it's just it's it's pretty cool and uh i'm 
just I'm just happy about it. I'm just happy doing it with you, and I'm happy that we're gonna 69 today for uh, the film From Dust Till Dawn from 1996. That is our main topic today because uh, Preston, you 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 had a, a theme in mind with this 69, right? Yeah, I wanted to do something that was either fun or had some sort of like sexual horror aspect to it or erotic horror, but the best one we've already done, which was society. And that would have been like the perfect fit for this sort of thing. But, uh, I mean, with, from dusk till dawn, you got sex machine, you got a titty bar. So it fits. And you got a foot fetish. That's true. Yeah. Quentin Tarantino does go all out on a foot. <laughs> so we're, we're real excited today for this podcast. And, uh, we're going to be talking about dust till dawn a little bit later. Uh, bloody recommendations and bloody questions, but first the bloody bits of news. Um, so let's start off with the first horror film coming out in 2020. Uh, it's actually the second. It's the second. Grudge, What's the grudge is coming first. Okay, the Grudge is the first one, and then the second one from Universal Pictures is going to be titled The Turning, starring Finn Wolfhard from Stranger Things. And Brooklyn Prince, Price, yes, uh, uh, she was in Florida Project. Correct. And so this 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 movie, I'll say I'll say one thing. There's a trailer out there for right now that just came out today, and it looks like it's a film about two orphans, Finn Wolfhard and this. What's the other lady's name? Brooklyn Prince. Brooklyn Prince. Uh, they're they orphans. Yeah, I think they're. Um, they're not like orphans, like where they're poor. They're like their parents died, and they're super uber wealthy. And in comes like a nanny, a twenty four seven nanny, to come take care of them. And all hell breaks loose. It looks like these kids ha- are hiding something that is evil. And it kind of has maybe a grudge kind of aspect to it where there's like things appearing in mirrors or behind you or something like that. I can see this movie being terrible, but I can also see it being pretty creepy. I just don't know which way they're going yet. And I hope it's not PG-13 because if it's PG-13, it's going to be terrible. Preston, your thoughts? (laughs) Um, Yeah, uh, to me, it looks a little bit like The Lodge because it's dealing with siblings and them being up to something uh and then it has a little bit of this uh it's one of the movies that i recommended in my blade recommendations from many moons ago uh called marrowbone i saw Um, that yeah so it seems like a a combination of that a little bit of like all those kind of january horror movies that have that you know or february uh one what was that one with Daniel Radcliffe, the woman in black, that yes. kind of feel where it seems like it might be okay at best. And then you'll forget about it. Um, so the director, I believe she did episodes of daredevil and she did something else that was pretty, uh, she did the runaways, that movie from 2010 about Joan Jett and the runaways. Um, so, there's some potential there, but the trailer, I feel like I already know what the movie is. I already, uh, that I already know what the secret is. I, if I can make a prediction right now, um, I believe that the parents are the ghosts and, uh, they bond with them. And then anybody that 
gets in between that, uh, i.e. the nanny. Uh, Don't die. Yeah, they, they're, they're chopped liver. So um, I don't know. Yeah, I'm 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 curious about it because you know most things we've seen with Finn Wolfhard in it. Finn Wolfhard plays kind of like the the funny dude. Uh, he's always mm-hmm. got he's quick with it, but this one he just kind of looks like maniacal, and he's like playing drums, and he's just has that beat, and it, they keep like the cuts with the beat in the trailer, and it just looks sadistic. But also, then again, I hope it's not a PG thirteen film because I think it will just wash away all the truly creepy factors and i just don't want them to follow that same formula that we've seen time and time again because i want a yeah. horror movie to remember from january yeah i don't i don't think he'll pull a john c Riley and or will ferrell and pull his nuts out on the drum set or anything like that but <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> unfortunately all right uh moving on a little bit of other news um but yeah but before, well, before that, the turning, yes, coming out uh, the third week in January, I believe, for your horror horror movie yeah, stuff. Yeah, so I guess there's the there's the Grudge, the Turning, and then there's uh, I think it's called Gretel Gretel in Hansel, like it's flipped, and it has the young actress that plays Beverly from It Chapter One and Two, um, in it. So there's there's some maybe potentially bad horror films coming out or maybe surprisingly good there you go uh the turning maybe it will turn our 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 wittiness around i don't know so moving on there for for those of you who like halloween the movie and collecting tchotchkes and stuff like that um John Carpenter's Halloween, the first movie, they uh, have been officially licensed for trading card sets. So you know how like you kind of collect baseball cards, basketball cards, football cards, comic book cards? You can collect Halloween the movie trading cards now. Uh, they're pretty expensive, but they're, they look pretty cool, though. Um, so you can pay $5 and get a single pack which uh, is one of those wax packs that you know come folded up you'll get nine trading cards a sticker and an autograph and sketch card um, randomly inserted or you can pay $120 and get an entire sealed box containing 24 of those wax packs which means you'll get two sets of each card plus you know, autograph cards, sketch cards, checklists, and stuff like that. And then there is a uh, median one for $35. That's the factory box. And you will be getting 83 cards in there. Um, basically, you'll be getting the full set. Just one full set of everything. So, uh, yeah. I mean, if you're into that type of thing, this is all this is what you want this is a kind of a cool deal what do you think man was this something you'd be into uh maybe it just sounds like a slippery slope um i if i did anything i'd probably do that 35 dollar pack but uh i would need to like look these up and see what they look like is it from like all the films is it from the new ones it looks like it's just the first movie and you know they're they're actually like cars they it looks really cool um, like the artwork on them, and so you know the cards will have like 
screenshots of the film with captions or there might be like a like a special variant card with like their line of dialogue and then if you flip it over they're numbered and it gives a brief description of the scene and the image of the card and then there's other cards that have pictures with their autographs on them uh and like the the packs themselves they look really cool and they're being sold at fright rags uh F R I G H T R A G S yeah. Fright Rags. Yeah. So Yeah, I just uh, looked it up. Yeah, they look pretty cool. Yeah. They look like uh they would have came out in the seventies. Yeah, correct. Yeah. It's officially licensed Halloween merchandise. So if you're a big Halloween fan, just in time for Halloween now, get those if you so inclined. Let us know if you get them. I'm curious yeah. to see like the quality of them. Yeah, right? it looks like they ship out on October 25th. Wow, just in time for Halloween. My goodness. My goodness. Yeah. Um, and then other, yeah, it's kind of a slow news week horror-wise. Nothing that we haven't really discussed in some form or fashion, uh, which will bring us to our last bit of bloody news. Uh, Preston and I attended Fantastic Fest a couple weeks ago. We saw a bunch of movies. We've talked about it quite extensively. We had our guest Mark Chafferdini on last week to talk about it. Um, But now we're just going to wrap this Fantastic Fest thing up for the year and just quickly go over a couple movies that we haven't mentioned yet so that we kind of want you to know about so preston uh so we talked about worm parasite jojo knives out dick long first love memory and the lodge which are actually my first eight like favorite of the festival i saw 22 films in total but there's a few others that i would like to mention that are worth checking out and in my number nine spot is uh, lighthouse i don't know if i discussed that i know that brian i've talked to you a little bit about it which i just uh restated some tweet that was on uh twitter that described lighthouse as if stanley kubrick did the movie Step Brothers, which is pretty accurate because um it's it's a very funny movie um I mean, it's very unnerving. There's a lot of unnerving shit that happens uh, all throughout it. Uh, the whole movie is in black and white. It's in that like tight four by three. I think there's like a more technical term uh, that I should know, um, but it's made to look like stuff from like the beginning of film. Um, so he does a lot. Uh, Robert Eggers, who did The Witch, he does a lot of cool uh, visual work. Um, he experiments with lighting and it's really fantastic. So, uh, it's a technical Marvel. Uh, it's a funny movie and both actors, Robert Pattinson and, um, uh, blanking on his name, William Defoe, uh, both give great, great performances in it. So it's just kind of fun to watch them. It's not quite, it's not a very accessible film. I don't think it will go down super smooth uh, the witch didn't really go down that well for general audiences but i think if you had trouble watching the witch this one is going to go down uh even worse you're going to need a chaser of some sort but um overall i think it's a uh, pretty it's a fascinating film more so than it's an enjoyable one but uh i don't think it'll be like in my top 10 or anything like that but i think it's a it's a very curious film that i I'm anxious to talk to more people about. So that is the lighthouse. 
Nice. Um, and I see that tonight. Yeah. So, uh, did you want to talk about memory? The, the origins of Alien? Yeah, so I recently watched this uh, documentary called Memory, and it is a yet another Alien, like the 1979 <coughs> film, I think I'm correct, uh, Aliened by Ridley Scott, starring Sigourney Weaver and a whole bunch of other greatness. And it's a documentary about the making of that movie. And it's a cool doc in that it kind of culminates to kind of all the actors and filmmakers coming up with making it and kind of the uh, tumultuous uh, journey uh, that led to the firing and uh, whatnot of certain filmmakers and producers and stuff like that where they eventually landed on Ridley Scott. And then the cast now talks about uh, them not knowing quite a bit of what kind of is going to happen in the movie up until the... famous chest burster scene while everybody's eating and it's kind of that's kind of the culmination of the documentary and it's just really cool to see it's not my favorite alien documentary or not the most extensive one uh i would say the beast within is a better doc for something like that but this one is worth seeing because there's some pretty candid moments with some of the actors and producers talking about making the film um or the wives of the filmmakers correct correct yeah because so you got uh giger hr giger's wife and uh dan o'bannon's wife diane uh most most of it is with her um so you get to see like shots of uh the early treatments for alien some of these early ideas and these you just see boxes of like return of the living dead and all these other stuff and you just want to go through that stuff <clears throat> so to my understanding i actually i i spoke with the director of the film uh alexander opalite uh philippe and uh he said that he's going to be working with diane to be uh, archiving, like to properly archive uh, every all his writings, so it can be like digitally preserved in some capacity. Um, and he also mentioned that he's going to be working on a additional documentary that uh, follows up seventy eight fifty two, the shower scene from Hitchcock Psycho. So he has more to explore, uh, if you can believe it about that shower scene so that's like one of his next projects that's super cool yeah very cool yeah but yeah yeah see memory uh alien i think i think you'll like it if you're a fan of the alien and kind of behind the scenes docu type stuff and i you know like it kind of plays out like a really cool bonus feature on a blu-ray disc kind of thing yeah um sure (laughs) Uh, <laughs> sure, I, sure. I think it's a little bit it's a, it's a little bit better than a than a DVD extra, but it would be it would fit if they did like uh, I guess even for the 50th anniversary down the line, if they want to do something special, they could include all that. Because, um, because yeah, because there, there's like there's not a narrative in this documentary, but they like uh, the director kind of films uh, like a horror aspect to it with the with the women. Oh, the Furies? Yes. Yeah, yeah. He he brings, like, yeah, uh, when it starts out, you're like, am I watching the right thing? This is not a documentary at all. Um, but then he, like, kind of carries over 
uh, alien style to the documentary in terms of the way that he lights certain the talking heads and uh, that sort of thing. And um, so it's it's a pretty interesting lens where he puts it. Not a lot of it is new information. There is some untold information in there, but uh, most of it's made if you're an alien enthusiast. Um, it's stuff that you've already heard before, but it's just the way that it's presented is pretty exciting. There you go. So, uh, there's two movies that Brian, I know we both saw. Actually, there's three. If we want to run quickly through them, uh, there's Color Out of Space, which we saw. Uh, that was one of the earliest films that we saw at Fantastic Fest, and that comes from one of our absolute favorite filmmakers of all time, Richard <laughs> Stanley. Richard Stanley. Oh no. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, he did, uh, hardware and then, um, he also was on board uh, for a little period of time to do the nineties version of the, the Island of Dr. Moreau. There's a great documentary out there called lost soul, which I believe we talked about on the podcast at some point. If not, it's really great. You should get it. And, uh, talks about like all the, uh, trouble that he hit while trying to make that movie. Um, so this film color out of space is a HP Lovecraft adaptation and it feels like movies that you've uh, seen before, like the thing and, uh, whatever else, uh, it's, uh, it was a fun movie. It's not, I don't think it's like exceptional or anything like that, but I just had a good time watching it. And I think most of it is due to Nicolas Cage's performance, which is just, I like, I don't even know how to like pin it down. It, uh, it starts off like, like standard cage, but then it gets to a certain point where he starts doing like this Trump impression type thing as things kind of escalate and get more crazy, uh, alien type stuff's going on colors, uh, hence the title. So, uh, it's a very bizarre movie, but it was a it was a good time. Yes, it was. Uh, it was something different, and seeing Nick Cage go back and forth through his craziness in here, and his obsession with alpacas. Yes, there, there. I mean, it, it's kind of like if Richard Stanley and H.P. Lovecraft kind of got together and made the thing. Uh, it's it's it could get pretty intense and pretty gory, but there's also some cool other cool things in there. And then some things that just don't really make sense, but overall it's a fun movie and it's beautifully shot in this mm-hmm. kind of like alternate, uh, universe. Reality, type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty yeah. cool. So yeah, I, I'd recommend that for sure. Yeah. Uh, and another one that we saw was wrinkles, the clown, the documentary. Um, uh, that one's going to be a very hard one to kind of talk about. Uh, but I believe you can watch it right now on video on demand. Um, Highly Colorado, suggest you do. Yes. Uh, you should get to that one as quickly as possible. Uh, just because uh, there's a thing that happens halfway through um, that's really exciting. And I can, and it just it's like one of those exciting things where you just like want to tell everybody. And so, um, yeah, try try to beat the punch right uh, yeah it's, it's, so. it's, it's a documentary about uh this guy who dress up dresses up as a creepy ass clown for hire and usually parents call this clown to come scare the hell out of their naughty kids and so there's uh interviews with the guy who is the clown 
uh, you never see his face. And then uh, there's interviews with, you know, kids and parents that have called him or are trying to call him. It's, it's crazy. And it's super fun. And like Preston said, midway through, you think it's going somewhere and it just it becomes exciting. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was really enjoyable. Uh, just, uh, yeah, just a wild ride of a documentary. But um, and it has more on its mind. I think that's what makes uh, what happens halfway through. We're like, uh, yeah, this seems pretty standard too. And and then out of nowhere, you're like, whoa, it's got a lot going on here. Um, so it's really, really a fascinating film. Um, another one that we've both seen is Dolomite is my name. Hell that yeah! That was one of the secret screenings at Fantastic Fest. Um, it should be playing in theater by the time this. Uh, Posts, uh, it should be playing in so select theaters, uh, and then it opens later this month in October, like October 25th or something like that, on Netflix. Uh, on Netflix. Yes. But, uh, I know you really love this one, Brian, so you can take this one away if you'd like. Yes, I love this movie. So Dolomite, I am a big fan of Dolomite and Rudy Ray Moore. Rudy Ray Moore, actual dude. Um, he was a comedian. He put out a bunch of comedy albums and then he created this alter ego, this character named Dolomites, kind of like his pro wrestling persona where he was like a pimp who would just curse and talk about sex and drugs and music in a command a room. And then he ended up making a, a movie, very low budget, very underground called Dolomite. And the uh, film is kung fu and titties and funny and goodness. And the movie did so well, it spawned like five sequels. It's, it's crazy. So Craig Brewer, the director of Hustle and Flow and Black Snake Moan, took Eddie Murphy, Keegan-Michael Key, Craig Robinson, Wesley Snipes, and told this underdog story of Rudy Ray Moore becoming Dolomite. And it is so fantastic and charming and witting satisfying oh my goodness you come out of that movie glowing and happy and it's just like feel good all the way through and eddie murphy by god is back and ready to make comedy gold i'm super excited i can't wait for everybody to see this yeah echo everything you just said yeah, yeah. It, it'll be one of my favorites of the year for sure yeah it, it, it's great it's i mean from craig brewer coming off like such uh, very intense movies like Hustle and Flow and Black Snake Moan. This is, you know, not intense. This is just fun. It's vul very vulgar, but it's like done in like a, f <laughs> I can't say family friendly way, but like it's, it's, it's kind hearted. Yeah, it's kind hearted. It's great. It's so good. And, you know, we all think like Eddie Murphy, he's been in good stuff, you know, the last couple of years, but there's been a string of years where he's just like, come on, Eddie, get back to your roots. And he is here. Like he, you can see why he is one of the best actors. And then the other spot, like everybody turns in good performances, but the other real spotlight is um, uh, Wesley Snipes. <laughs> yeah. He is so good playing a, a once famous black exploitation actor turned director who is just drunk and above it all. And it, Wesley Snipes. Oh my goodness, Wesley Snipes is a very underrated actor <laughs> yeah I'm telling you he is and he's so good here uh there you go yes dolomite yes. is my name check that out sure 
Um, and then the, one of the last ones that I want to mention is one that I saw not too long ago. It played the opening night of Fantastic Fest, so it was a little bit ago. Um, and th- this is a movie called Sweetheart. Um, this is uh, one of the films following up uh, – what was it? He did Slight. Uh, I can't remember his name. J- JD something. Um, sorry. Uh, he he did that movie Slight, and I was a little worried about it, but this one actually was pretty damn good. It just was very simple. Uh, that's usually a problem that I have with like creature features is they try to – over uh complicate things uh just recently not too long ago i watched itsy bitsy which is like a spider movie and right out of the gate it just uh starts dealing with like uh ancient times and how the spider and i was just like no no no, no. Cut, cut all that out i want just like give me the creature and so this one is like castaway meets I don't know, creature from the Black Lagoon type. Um, it was it was a lot of fun, um, and uh, the the lead performance. Um, her name's escaping me right now, but she was in uh, <clears throat> Dope. I think her name is Kiersey Clemens, maybe. I think that rings a bell. Um, but anyway, uh, Sweetwater, Sweetwater, Sweetheart's coming out on digital October twenty second, so it's not too far away. There you go. So is is that uh, does that wrap up Fantastic Fest 2019? Yeah. Uh, can you? What was the worst movie that you saw at Fantastic Fest? Oh, the worst movie. Uh, the worst movie? I don't think I like. I saw a movie I hated. I can't think of one. Like they all were, you know, five or sixes or above. <laughs> Cool. Yeah, did you have a worse movie? There's one like one you like absolutely hated. Uh, I've I saw probably like five that I wasn't super hot on. Um, I think probably the top of that like that's almost in good territory is in the tall grass. Um, oh, that's on, you reminded on me. The... Yeah, I see. I liked in the tall grass. I will say fractured. Fractured. I didn't like. I actually like Fractured. I did not like Fractured. It's a lesser Shutter Island, but I I just felt like Sam Worthington was really good in it. What? And Sam Worthington yeah. was so terrible in it. No, that was <laughs> one of his best performances, or his best performance. I, I really thought that he, uh, On he was On a scale of believable. zero to one out of a hundred, it's a one. <laughs> <laughs> That's your did opinion, Did we see man. different movies, Preston? Perhaps I don't know. Uh, oh how God. late did you watch it? I watched it at like three in the morning. Oh well, there's your problem. What's the what, what? What difference does it make? I I watched it with a bunch of people, and we all thought the same thing. Oh my God, Sam Worthington! I even interviewed the director for that movie, Brad Anderson, and I was like, "Why, Sam Worthington?" You did. <laughs> in so many words, yes. Well, um, <laughs> you have to watch I, it on I YouTube. Inter- yeah, Brad Anderson. I interviewed him too, and I really had a good conversation with him. I, I mean, he ta- he he lightly talked about some of the problems that he had with the movie, but um, I don't think it's a complete piece of shit. But uh, it, it it's on. It should be on Netflix by the time this airs, so you can check it out for yourself. But uh, right. I, I say it's slightly worth 
checking out. Um, so. it, it's not worth checking out. Save your time. Uh, I don't know. I, I figure maybe audiences can at this point be like, oh, I lean more towards Brian or I lean more towards Preston. So uh, there you go. Yeah, there you go. I, I, oh, that's so funny because, like, you know, there is an aspect of horror in there in a hospital that we haven't seen before because usually in hospital horror there's zombies or corpses or blood. This is not that. This is, like, taking place during the day and, like, you're trying to find out information and nobody's giving it to you and like things happen. So that's scary. It's th- scary. It's that, that parental anxiety is something that I relate to. So I guess you can be like, Brian, you can say, Oh yeah, it's cause you're a parent. Um, so I don't know. I, I really understood all that and that scared me. And just the thought of everybody just telling you that you're insane when you feel like you know the truth um, but it still kind of walks this line of ambiguity that's uh, pretty fascinating. I don't think it contributes anything new to this kind of scenario uh, that's very reflective of Shutter Island, like like beat for beat in a way. Um, but I don't know. I really thought Sam Worthington was pretty good in it. Oh, so. my God. No way. <laughs> Um, but, uh, two, two, uh, or actually three other movies, uh, night drive was like a early eight in the morning type of screening. It had like AJ Bowen in it and I tried to check it out and I gave it 20 minutes and I wasn't into it. So I left. Um, and then there was another one that I tried to give like 20 minutes and I left too. And it was called not, uh, what was it called? Uh, knives and skin. And right. it was. I remember, that, yes. I remember re- reading the description. And they were comparing it to David Lynch, and I it just like had no emotional substance whatsoever. And it it's just yeah, it's exactly like a David Lynch movie. But I'm not a huge David Lynch fan, uh, so that could be one thing. But I just don't think I can't imagine anybody like watching this and having a good time outside of the score being good and the aesthetics being good. So. Um, and then the, the other one is butt boy, which I was really excited about and it was okay. It's just not exceptional. Um, either it was, uh, everything's kind of played straight, which is probably a good thing to go with with a movie called butt boy. I don't think it should be like Corky Romano style or anything like that, but, um, it, it just didn't overall, I just didn't walk away with it feeling special to me at all. It wasn't bad. But Fantasia was funny. I didn't see that one. It's a short six-minute film with butts and Fantasia. (laughs) And and then I guess since we're already here, the only movie that I have not mentioned yet, which is uh, I I still think it's good, is Come to Daddy with Elijah Wood. Um, I wanted to see that. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. It it was a movie that I saw at midnight, and I was really worried I was going to fall asleep, but it held my attention. It actually is, uh, it resembles in a lot of ways uh, this sort of like genre split uh, to from *Dust Till Dawn* because um, it starts off in a way where Elijah Wood is uh, meeting his his uh, biological father, and he's like discovering like what he's all about and. Uh, getting to know each other and then like some crazy shit starts happening and then it just gets like full Tarantino by the end. Nice. Um, so yeah, it was a good time. I like it. I like it. All so right. There, there you go. Fantastic fest officially done. 
Done. Bloody bits of news over. Fantastic Fest. We'll see you in 2020. Let's move on to our bloody question, though, where we ask a fun horror-themed question. We answer it. We try to be funny with it. We bring it to Reddit, and we get responses, and we read the funniest responses. Uh, oh, my goodness. I saw uh, Preston for a second there on my screen. I was very excited. <laughs> uh, I, I thought I should prove that I am actually bottomless. Yes, good, good, good. Ah, and well-endowed and everything. Look at you, handsome. <laughs> um, so, bloody question. Since we're doing From Dust Till Dawn Vampires... Simple question. What's the most creative way to kill a vampire? Preston. All right. Um, I will say that I, assuming that I just had a lot of money, I would be like a rich playboy type that would have this huge like party. Like I would just throw parties for vampires at night and wear a robe and just invite people in and we drink uh, bloody cocktails um, or at least I would pretend that I am. And, and I would also have a roller coaster, kind of like a runaway mountain at Six Flags where it's like all in the dark. And, um, but what I won't tell them is at the very end of the ride, it goes outside and bam, they're all dead. Dang, man. So you would pretend to be a vampire, but you wouldn't be. That's right. I would uh, work closely with a friendly, uh, like on a like on an angel level, and then he would he or she would help me to uh, blend in, and then I would uh, adopt this alter ego, and then that would be my way to get him. There you go. There you go. Um, I went different with it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I would attach those mist spraying fans to myself that deliver a big holy water attack <laughs> that they're just constantly going. So that kind of like wards off near vampires to you. And then I would smear myself in like a garlic gel. And then I would have two sturdy wooden knives uh, and a hard hat that would deliver a powerful UV ray. So I'd kind of like be like, kind of like a one man attack force. If I was surrounded by vampires, that's how I would take it out. Kind of went logical with it, I think, but, uh, yeah, uh, that's how I would do it. And we brought this question to Reddit where we got a pretty good response from, we've got over 40 comments and replies to it. Some are pretty damn funny, I must say. I don't think we're going to read all of them because there's so many of them. But I will um, read some of the best ones. So coming in with the most points is Cavalier78. They said uh, they read a book when I was a kid where they poured a bunch of salt on the vampire's front doorstep. In this book vampires had a compulsion to count objects hence the sesame street character the count when the vampire came back home right before sunrise he couldn't go inside the house because he was compelled to count every grain of salt that's kind of cool mm, interesting 
Uh, let's see here. What other ones were really good? Um, we got to mention this. Frank Legonzo said, Death by Stereo. And we all know why, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Layer 11 said, A satellite with mirrors reflect- reflecting sun rays on the dark side of Earth. Which, cool. not bad. Uh, Black Rider Zero X said, Have a priest bless the water in a toilet. Put the vampire's head in the <laughs> toilet and flush. Nice. I like that one. <laughs> that is uh, pretty It's like a Hotel Transylvania if it wanted to go that route. Yes. Uh, Nerdy with Children said, Why kill them? Build a fort out of tables, chairs, and empty kegs. At the entrance, post a sign that reads, You're not invited. Get drunk and wait for the sun to rise. <laughs> nice. Um, so, Gamer Jess uh, went into a long thing, basically saying, Depends on the rules. And then she goes on, to ask a bunch of questions on like the type of situation. But if they're going off a dust till dawn situation, she said, I honestly would not consider my chances of survival to be that high, more like non-existent. So the default response would be mutual assured destruction. I would spread as much alcohol in the building as I could scatter any furniture as fuel, as well as anything in the storeroom that is good as fuel. Then I would draw as many vampires in as I could, block the exit and light it up while preventing them from escaping. There you go. Kind of a... Yeah, I, I, I can see it. Yeah. Uh, I can see that. And then... um, <laughs> FL0DGE, so I guess Flodge, said he would start a Mezkel worm farm using garlic as the feed. <laughs> 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 Which I thought was good. Oh... Uh, War Dragon 777 said, use the guitar strings as a garret and start decapitating, which is kind of crazy. Um, and then we get into the depraved. Uh, CJK1 million said, catch one and tie it down, water hose up the ass, pumping holy water in. If that doesn't work, we'll cram a couple cloves of garlic up there. <laughs> <laughs> then, then Elite Hippie said, replied to that, a garlic shotgun. And there you go. And then the the uh, the coup de gras of all of this. Actually, oh no, it didn't. It no, it didn't. They they. Well, well, Yo Yo Man thirty three said AIDS, but then there was another one that would said uh, use a silver dildo anally that would shoot uh, garlic up there. So. Um, in so many words. So yeah, there's more to this in the Reddit. We will be posting that on our, uh, on our sites and in the podcast. So you can read all of them, but thank you to everyone at Reddit to most creative ways to kill a vampire. We love it. Let us know at my bloody podcast at gmail.com. If you have the most creative way to kill a vampire, let us know. But moving on to bloody recommendations. This is the segment where we recommend you a horror film, new or old. We just want you to see it. I'm curious if Preston went vampire with it, but I don't know. But Preston, bloody recommendation this week, good sir. Um, I did not go with vampire this week. I uh, Since I got that big Omen collection, I've that's all I've been doing. So I just finished all of them. 
yesterday. So Scream Factory for October 15th release is releasing this giant collection deluxe edition set. Uh, if you got the critters, uh, collection, it's like all put into like one little thing. Or if you got, if you're as fancy as Brian and got that, uh, awesome Halloween set, um, they're, they're pretty badass. They got like the hardcover and everything and all kinds of fun extras. If you're a fan of the Omen, the Omen series. Um, so the, the, the set includes the original Omen. Omen 2, Damien, The Final Contact, the third one, the fourth one, The Awakening, and then the 2006 remake that came out on 666, uh, which I remember seeing. I saw it at on that date at 6 p.m. or 6.06 p.m. <laughs> Um, but the one that I'm recommending out of all of it, you know, like the first one's the best one, obviously, um, uh, directed by Richard Donner is a good time. Um, but the one that surprised me out of all of them, uh, is, uh, Damien Omen 2. The terror of the past is but a taste of the future. What happened before was a hint of the horror to come. The first time was only a warning. William Holden, Lee Grant, Damien, Omen 2. Tell me about Damien. Brian, do you remember this one very well at all, or have you seen it? Yeah, I've seen all of them, and I would say right after 2, they kind of go downhill fast. Yeah, um, the third one's got like Sam Neill in it, and he plays like the adult version of Damien and takes over his job, his dad's job, deceased dad, um, Gregory Peck's character. Um, his job is like this like prime minister type of person, um, just like somebody who's like high up in the political uh, realm and uh it, it's just like it's very politically driven and then it all of a sudden gets dark and it's just not quite as compelling as it could have been but the second one um it takes a little while to kind of get in the groove but um it's it's unique that what's well, kind of a it's kind of a bad thing that each one of these films or at least the first three it's like Damien does not remember who he is. So you kind of like go through that whole cycle again where you're like, this guy is relatively normal. And then all of a sudden bad shit happens. Um, so you kind of have to, have to get used to that. That's what happens. But I, I found it interesting that it happens in Omen 2 because it's when Damien's a teenager and he's going off to military school and he's living with his uh, aunt and uncle, I believe. And he has a cousin that he's like best buds with. And then, uh, and an aunt, their aunt recognizes that Damien's a little bit of a bad, uh, bad influence for, um, the, the parents, actual son. Um, but it's, it's a lot of fun in that it's a coming of age film about him learning that he's evil and you don't get coming of age movies like that. And so I just kind of enjoyed, um, him slowly realizing that he's the son of Satan 
and uh, things escalate from there. And then uh, Lance uh, Hendrickson plays like this uh, corporal type, one of the teachers at this uh, academy who's like a secret Satanist. And he's like helping him to like learn like as like a mentor figure to uh, teach him like or, like who he is and what his purpose is. And then as things unfold, there's like some crazy shit that happens in it. Like somebody gets like hit by a truck, gets their eyes plucked out like uh, the witch. And um, so there's like some unique death scenes. And uh, I, I like how things wrap up. And so I was just kind of surprised that it just went in the direction that it did. And uh, I had a lot of fun with it, even when it came to like some of the more uh, serious parts. Like there's like a bit between Damien and his cousin where things get really crazy. And then uh, I don't want to like spoil anything if you've uh, seen it, if you haven't seen it before. But I just really enjoy where their dynamic goes, like where their relationship goes and all this. So uh, I'm recommending out of that collection, uh, Damien uh, Omen 2. There you go, Damien Omen 2. It's been a while since I've seen it, but I remember like it, it wasn't bad and like you said, you know, trying like the this preteen kid discovering he has all these powers and then how it ends when it's just kind of like hell yeah, he's going going for it. Like he yeah. knows who he is. So that's kind of cool. Um so yeah, absolutely. Pr- pretty pretty cool. And then of course uh there were um, other other movies. There was a third one, a fourth one, and then a remake. So, yeah, that fourth one's awful. It's like the Halloween Five of the franchise, where it's a TV movie and it has a really horrible score and terrible direction, and uh, it's just like a carbon copy of the original. But you have a a little girl and that's the lead now, and it just never becomes interesting. It just feels really cheap. And it's not really scary at all. There you go. Uh, the uh, Damien Omen 2, very good. So my bloody recommendation of the week is Vampire-esque. And it is a subtle vampire movie. It is a Korean subtle vampire movie. It is an erotic Korean vampire movie. Are you doing thirst? I'm doing thirst. Very quickly, thirst. He knows who it is. Directed by Park Chan Wook, of course, the amazing Korean filmmaker who brought us The Handmaiden and Old Boy and Lady Vengeance, Stoker, all good stuff. But his uh, little vampire movie is called Thirst, and it tells the story of a priest who falls in love with his friend's wife. And that's kind of like who what the movie is about. It's kind of like this crazy love triangle from somebody who can't like really go that route. And there's like dark secrets and stuff like that. But the uh, friend's wife was bitten by something, and she's turning into a vampire. Um, so uh, yeah, she um, there's that aspect of it, and it's that's kind of like the underlying theme that she's 
uh, turning into a vampire, so it's not like all blood and guts and stuff, although there's a couple of moments where there is. But uh, it's super cool. It's a, it's a great movie. It's very well told, um, well acted, and I just I remember seeing it in the theater and I was really, really liking it. And uh, there's nudity in it, both male and female, and it actually won a big prize at the Cannes Film Festival when it was released and debuted. Uh, not a bad film. I think if you're into vampire films, this is definitely one that needs to be on your list. Uh, having said that, um, any Park Chan-wook film should be on your list. But this one, being vampire lore and stuff like that, this is the one to do. Uh, Preston, do you like this movie? Yes, I do. I own the, I think Kino Lorber put out a pretty good uh, release of it not too long ago. And yeah, it's uh, just as you said, Park Jan Wook uh, will never steer you wrong. And this is one of his more fascinating films to me. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great, great film. Lots of themes, lots of, lots of good tone. And like I said, it's more of like a love triangle, love story between three people with the the vampire aspect to it, which I like. So yeah, check it out, called Thirst from 2009. Um, do it. And that brings us to our main feature presentation of episode 69, my bloody podcast. So excited to be here. Uh, from dusk till dawn. Everybody be cool. You be cool. Somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Profile. You understand the meaning of the words profile? Sure. Two of America's most dangerous criminals have taken hostages. What is this? It's called a punch. I'm going to ask you one question, and all I want is a yes or no answer. Do you want to live through this? Yes. Okay, ramblers, let's get rambling. One night is all that stands between them and freedom. This is my kind of place. But it's going to be one hell of a night. Oh my God, From Dust Till Dawn, the movie. This movie is just so crazy. Um, <laughs> I mean, where do you really start from about this? So, From Dust Till Dawn, directed by Robert Rodriguez, along uh, with his brother from another mother, Quentin Tarantino, who wrote the screenplay. Robert Kurtzman uh, created the story for it. Tarantino adapted that, and then it starred back in 1996. Came out January 17, 1996. Starred Harvey Keitel, Juliette Lewis, Tarantino himself, Cheech Marin in three uh, roles, Fred Williamson, Selma Hayek, and of course... The um, the first big feature film Clooney, George Clooney took on after ER was this film, From Dust Till Dawn. Uh, this movie, I saw it when it came out in 1996. I was, I think, 15, 14, 15 at the time. And it just blew my mind. I loved it so much. I just became like, oh man, this is how cool a movie could be? There hadn't been a movie this cool in this long, you know? And wow, George Clooney is a nice doctor in here. He's not. Excellent acting. Super fun, stylized movie. Um, Without talking about the story yet, Preston, when was the first time you saw it and did you like it? 
I think the first time I saw it was probably the year after it, when it came out on VHS. So I was seven or eight at the time. And uh, I remember it uh, vividly just because it was one of those movies that it felt very wrong to own. <laughs> because, uh, I mean, I watched a lot of horror movies when I was a kid, but this was the one where, I mean, it, the, the ending takes place in a titty bar, so there's a lot of nudity in it. So it just like that was the one that I had to hide from my parents. It's like easier. It was harder to hide that one. So I, I just remember kind of like sneaking around trying to watch that movie just because I had such a good time with it. So, yeah, I was probably seven or eight when it was out on VHS. You, you sly devil, you. Uh, so the film itself uh, follows the Gecko Brothers, played by George Clooney and Tarantino, and they have escaped prison, uh, and they are on the run to Mexico to live their life uh in their escape attempt, or they didn't attempt it, they broke out. They killed a bunch of people, civilians, police officers, and they're on their way. They, they hit, robbed a bank. Yeah, they robbed a bank, yes. They, uh, they um, are heading with all their money to Mexico. They stop in Texas for the night and to avoid capture, and they take up this family as hostage to get across the border patrol, um, which is Harvey Keitel and his two kids, his two older kids, Ernest Liu and Juliette Lewis. And they get across the border and they end up at the Titty Twister Bar in Mexico, some uh, strip club. And so like 65% of the movie plays out kind of like a heist movie and on the lam with these two horrible characters that just kill and maim, but they like seem cool in a way. And then they're just supposed to wait at this titty bar. And then all of a sudden, all of the strippers and people at the bar turn into vampires and try to kill everyone. So just kind of like a huge genre flip. And it just comes out of nowhere and is super fun. And it is gory as all hell with memorable, ridiculous, over-the-top characters. Uh, yeah, that you just like, there's just so many cool sequences, such as Preston mentioned earlier, Sex Machine, a character who can will his crotch to open up and point out a pistol from a contraption and shoot people. Uh, so good. So good. Um, and it's just, watching it today, it's still excellent. Like, it's still, like, the, the visual effects, practical effects are good. It's a fun movie to watch. And t um, George Clooney's role, like, he hasn't played a role like this since then. Kind of like a badass. Uh, I just, I love it so much. And Preston, what, what do you have to say about this movie? Uh, there's a lot to say about it, but, uh, it, it's been one that's always been one of my favorite, uh, go-tos, um, uh, kind of go along with, uh, the faculty. I was a big fan of, uh, Robert Rodriguez's earlier work, uh, with that and from, uh, Desperado and, once upon a time in uh, Mexico. Um, so yeah, this one's a lot of fun. Uh, I, I wish I could experience it like ne today as like a third year old man watching it for the first time going in blind and just going on that crazy ass journey of expecting it to be one movie. And then out of nowhere it becomes another, like that would just be, uh, I guess you had that experience, Brian, but 
I did not uh, because at that point, you know, the cat's already out of the bag and on the poster, you know, you, you get the sense that it's a vampire movie. And so uh, it, that that twist like today, so many filmmakers would work so hard to protect it. And uh, then it just wasn't that big of a deal. You didn't really have the Internet or anything like that. So unless you were like in touch with uh, like Fangoria magazine or other books and stuff like that, you didn't really know too much about it. And uh, uh, unless you're a Tarantino fan, because he likes to at that time coming off of like Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, I just like to uh, twist uh, genres, uh, twist the genre a little bit. Um, so interestingly, like this film kind of unfolds very similarly to the Grindhouse project that they did, um, where Tarantino did Death Proof and it is a very like serious tone kind of film. Um, and then you get to Planet Terror, which is Robert Rodriguez's film, which is like just balls to the wall crazy. And, uh, that's very similar tone. Um, but the, the movie's just a blast. Like, um, the characters, uh, the Gecko brothers, um, they're not likable people per se, just because especially Tarantino's character who, you know, most people know him as like the motor mouth guy, like you just will not shut up. And, and in this one, interestingly, he plays somebody who's relatively quiet and doesn't speak too often, but you get a pretty good sense of where he comes from and how he thinks, uh, um, I mean, there's the very, probably the most disturbing scene in the whole movie is that they have a, a bank hostage uh, in their trunk as they're escaping um, before they get to the Tex- uh, Texas-Mexico border. And, um, and then Clooney's character steps away and then Tarantino's character rapes and kills this woman. And it doesn't show it in like – all it's like craziness. There's like flashes of it in like a fight club kind of way when Tyler Durden like pops up. Um, so you get an idea of like just how violent it is. So these people, these people are incredibly complex and you get the idea that, um, George Clooney's character would probably not keep him around if he was not family. Uh, he's always trying to stick his neck out for him. And so you kind of get that sense that he's trying, he's like the straight man that tries to keep everything together, but he also has like his crazy bits too, especially once he gets to the, the titty bar. Um, he, uh, when people piss him off, like he'll stand up cause, uh, it, it'll eat away at him if, uh, he doesn't do something about it. If somebody pisses him off. Um, so they're incredibly complex characters, but they're interesting. And I think it's mostly due to Tarantino's dialogue. I think, uh, if anybody else had wrote this, uh, it would not be that interesting. Um, it, it would just be like a B movie and, but he makes the characters compelling based off of like what they say. And that's what makes me connect with the characters a bit or just wants to, I want to see where they go. Um, when if you tried to play this movie for 2019 eyes today, people would be like, ah, no, I don't want to watch anything like this. But uh, I think that because of how they talk, um, I'm interested to see where they go. And the characters that they meet along the way, in particular, the, the Fuller family, like I love Harvey Keitel in this. He's also a very complex character whose wife has died and he um, is struggling with his faith because he used to be a priest. And now given where they go, he has to, you know, like step up um, 
because, uh, you know, Satan's kind of coming through with these vampires. And so he uh, has a change of heart. Um, so it's just it's cool to watch all these characters go on their individual journeys. And um, and then it just ends in such a like very fun way when you have like Tom Savini in it, it was a sex machine. And it's like he wanted to step away from doing makeup a little bit and want to explore his acting chops. And he's really good in the movie. Uh, it's just fun. I mean, he doesn't like talk a whole hell of a lot, but. Um, he has like really great comedy bits, especially like once he turns into a vampire himself, um, he's like trying to hide that fact from the company that he's with, who at this point know that there are vampires there and that they need to kill them. And he's slowly turning with his hands starting to, you know, like in a American werewolf in uh, London kind of way, like slowly starts to morph. And then he's like, oh, shit. And he knows that he's dead. Uh, and then Fred Williamson, the great Fred Williamson. Speaking of like uh, Dolomite, uh, he's great uh, black exploitation actor from back in the day with like Black Caesar. And here he plays a uh, a Vietnam vet veteran, and he's just like that chewy cigar smoking kind of guy who will just kick your ass. And he kicks some serious ass in here, and it's so fun to watch him take strippers who are vampires and flip a table upside down and have him throw them through the, the legs of it. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of creative kills all throughout here. And as you said, Brian, like the practical effects are just uh, magnificent all throughout, even down to like map paintings. And you see a pretty good map painting at the very end of the film when you realize that the titty twister is part of a Aztec temple. Um, and but some of the digital effects don't hold up very well, but it, it doesn't like take away from the film at all. Um, it, it's like some of the digital stuff that they do, like transformation in the kind of like Buffy kind of way, are really fun to see. And these the the makeup artists or the, the practical effects people and all that they went on to do stuff like Walking Dead, so they progressed from there. But um, it's just kind of cool, especially if you watch like some of the behind the scenes footage and how they made it, uh, in such a tight window, it's pretty miraculous that they pulled all that off and were able to make it a rated R film and not NC 17. So they gave like the vampires like green blood versus like red blood. Um, and then seeing like the, the vampire creatures in full form, especially when you start seeing like sexy ones, uh, that are the strippers and then there'll be like one on the outside that is just like full on like witch nasty lady look where yeah. like saggy boobs and everything and it's like really creepy so the creature design is just awesome and especially when Fred Williamson uh, turns into a vampire he looks really awesome um, very scary especially when he releases all the bats in so yeah uh, it's just a lot of fun and they put a lot of they put a lot of you can see that all the work that they put into it on the screen. Uh, it's just like they, they made a B movie, what would normally be a really shitty movie into a lot of fun. And like they elevated it. Right. Uh, they, they, they did a phenomenal job with what they had. And, you know, since this is episode 69 of my bloody podcast, there is a lot of sexual stuff in this movie. Uh, we all know through interviews and talks with Quentin Tarantino that he has a foot fetish. So, of course, his brother from another mother, Robert Rodriguez, uh, gave him his fetish in the film full on. 
Uh, there are uh, moments where his character stares at Juliet Lewis's feet, asks to eat her out, and then, of course, the greatest, sexiest scene of all time: Selma Hayek as the vampire stripper dancing and lets, uh, for real, um, Quentin Tarantino suck her toes for a few minutes. It is insane. She pours some beer from her leg and it drips into his mouth. Yes. Uh, There's a lot of that. Uh, So, yeah, it's a very sexy film, too, uh, with uh, Salma Hayek. Like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, she was one of my first crushes outside of, like, Power Rangers Kimberly for me. But (laughs) um, (laughs) Santanico Pandemonium was her name in the movie. Yeah. And And her, her effects are really good by the time that she turns into, like, a full form vampire right yeah it's it's so good so uh you know a little behind the scenes stuff there is an actual full-length feature documentary called full tilt boogie that's available um out there and it is a full-length feature documentary on the making of this movie and it talks about everything about the film how they cast it uh building the sets uh, one of the interesting notes is that the they actually built the Titty Twister bar, but it burned to the ground, and they had to do another one, which cost a whole lot more money. And uh, unfortunately, yeah, that's that is what happened. Um, so, uh, did you know that? Have you seen Full Tilt Boogie? Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, great, great, uh, great little feature documentary there. Um, the the hiring Cheech Marin for three roles here is perfect because you first see him as a border patrol officer who's got like a fetish for watching uh, girls pee. <laughs> he just like stays in there too long with Juliet Lewis. And then you see him in his infamous, one of the best monologues in the film ever, the big pussy speech uh, to enter the titty twister where he's talking about all types of pussy. It yeah, he is... does the Forrest Gump bit of all the different types of shrimp you can make, but he talks about pussy. Yeah, that's a great way to describe it. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, and it's in Cheech Marin. And then, of course, at the very end, he plays a... Carlos. Um, yeah. He plays, he... he plays the guy... Yeah, we didn't really explore that, but that's another aspect of the film that makes it really fascinating is that... They tried to meet uh, the Gecko Brothers. Their plan is to go to Mexico so they can meet uh, the El, El Rey organization that like helps people who are like in a bind. And if they robbed a place, they would get a certain percentage of the money to help them uh, escape. So they would get 30% of the, the money that they got from that bank that they robbed. Um, so that, that's the whole thing. Like They're, they're meeting at the Titty Twister in the morning and so they're just killing time from dusk till dawn yeah it's so good and like everybody in hollywood wanted to be a part of this movie because of how cool the script was so like in very very small minuscule roles you have john hawks kelly preston john saxon michael parks like it's crazy the amount of people who are in this Uh, yeah like they pop up in such a way like i could watch like a uh, inglorious bastards kind of like structure of like that long form of them spending more time 
with Michael Parks's character and John Hawks's character, just them chit chatting because like if Mark Michael Parks's character hadn't died so early on, <clears throat> it would be a really interesting to just keep going in like this kind of like serious heist kind of tone uh, throughout just to kind of see where it goes from there. But you know, it's just, it's a whole other animal and it goes in different directions, keeps you on your toes. Right. And so at the end of the movie, um, when, uh, George Clooney and Juliette Lewis, the only remaining survivors of the film, head out. The camera pans back from the front of the titty twister all the way back in the sky that reveals that the titty twister backs up to a canyon. And it's actually a gigantic Aztec temple (coughs) behind it that Mm -hmm. tells us that these vampires have been here for like thousands of years, if not millions, feeding on people. Uh, and it's kind of like a doomsday type shot uh, of all this carnage that's happened before it. And that, you know, that mystere was so cool that, I mean, it spawned three movie sequels and a huge television series that spawned three seasons. I've seen the sequels. Uh, the second one is shit. Uh, the third one's a little bit better, but it's still not good. And I have never watched any of the show. So I've seen all the movies. The movies are just okay, not great. Um, but I reviewed every season of the television series. And um, it was on the El Rey Network. And the first episode, or more or less the first, um, the first season, is kind of like the movie. So they kind of spread a ton of stuff, uh, or a lot more... Um, story throughout a whole season that they did all in one movie and like the first episodes you know a lot of the same dialogue and stuff like that and it just never never reaches the cool aspect and you just kind of like oh this is kind of cheaply done and whatever but then when the second season and third season starts it really picks up its footing because it uh, explores a ton of the vampire's folklore uh, and traditions along with other monsters and demons. Uh, and it actually becomes quite good after the first season, which kind of just is all one, uh, all of the movie, but over like 10 episodes. So, um, I would say if you're a fan of the movie, if you can stick through the first season, but the second, third season are actually pretty good. So, um, I would say that for the series, but nothing can be better than this first film. And in my mind, I don't has Robert Rodriguez made anything as cool as this? Like I mean, I like Sin City and stuff, but this is so good. Yeah. Um yeah, like I said, I don't know. I really like Faculty and Once Upon a Time in Mexico and Desperado. Uh, those are like the few that I really liked and I, I'm not into his spy kids stuff and Shark Boy and Lava Girl and uh was that uh, Alita Battle Angel? Uh, no, I, I, it's been a long time since he's made something that seems like he needs like his Eddie Murphy type thing where he can come back and just do something that he's great at. He's like trying to like, I don't know what his plan is. I don't know if he's trying to like make films that uh, that his family can all watch together, but he's best when he's like exploring his roots like go back to like Mexico and explore that culture a little bit deeper and throw in like these crime syndicates and all that. And I, I think that would be fun. No. Yeah. I think that would be super cool. I, uh, 
I would like to see that. And um, yeah, find this movie. Actually, this is kind of a hard movie to find. They uh, there's a collector's series DVD edition of this, which comes with full tilt boogie. And then they did a uh, like a blu-ray version that's kind of is really out of print right now and then they kind of did a set but there's not been like a collector's edition of this yet or anything like surprising yeah which is crazy to me because i think like scream factory or arrow like you're sitting on a gold mine here and uh i would love to see the returning cast and crew come back and talk extensively about this some years later especially Clooney who just seems to not do these types of movies at all but they yeah, be so like good uh, Leo coming back for Critters 3 it just it would not happen but why I mean Critters 3 and Vodusteldon Dusteldon is a way better film than Critters 3 Critters 3 is actually dog shit but Very it's true. just funny to see Critters in New York City with Leonardo DiCaprio um, but Dust of Dawn, like an, I think it's like an important film. It's just like it perfectly balances these two genres, and you just don't expect it if you've never seen it before. And I just would like to see Clooney, you know, instead of playing like real life people or having fun with all of his best friends in an Ocean's movie, come back for something like this. You know, like I know he likes doing Coen Brothers and all that good stuff, but fuck, man. Come back to this genre. You were damn good at being a bad guy. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, good stuff from dusk till dawn. Anything else Can, before we close out? Yeah, I wanted to ask you, because uh, I, I watched this again very uh, not too long ago, and uh, I want to know how you feel uh, if you were like in that Fuller family and you are Juliette Lewis's character and your your dad died and your brother died. Would you react how she does at the end of this film? Uh, would you not be like pissed that because the Gecko brothers came into this, uh, like she lost her whole family because of it, and she took the money and she drove off? But I think I'd be a little more pissed. You know, we've had many years to think about this, and I've thought about that too because, like, I'm thinking about like, why doesn't she just go with him? And of course, he says the funny ass line, like, "I may be a bastard, but I'm not a fucking bastard. Go live your life." Yeah, um, like, like I like a, that. I like that he's a, that Tarantino was at least able to do that. But I, I don't know. Like, it seems like a missed opportunity for like a sequel for her to be like, you know what? I'm not gonna let this go. Like, it, it, it's almost like she didn't care that much about her family no i think she did but i think it's such an extenuating circumstance and so like you had just like gone through okay hell did, your world has turned upside down like monsters are real werewolves fucking vampires are real the last thing on my mind was to be pissed at this guy who saved you at the end and is being good to you now you just want to get the fuck out of Mexico and go live your life and then t- think about that later. But then again, like, I, I think I, I would boil up a little bit. Uh, I think, you know, it's kind of like you go through so like such a crazy situation that you just don't think about it and, and, and don't like step out of that shock. But once you do, I think I'd be a little pissed that, uh, I was like, sure. He helped me and everything. He was nice. He gave me money. But, you know, I don't have my family anymore. Uh, I, I would just start going back to, like, you know, if if we just hadn't been involved with you, my family would still be alive. 
Right, right. It is a, it's it's a thing, and they, you know they they wrote the script of like you know they weren't actually going to go stop at a hotel. They were going to stay in the motorhome, but then the kids wanted to stay in a bed, um, and they pulled into that motel, and uh, it just it just so happened that they came across that, and I. You know, it's hard to put yourself in that situation, but for me, I think after everything, I'd be like, you know, God damn it, but I'm so happy to be alive. I just want to get the hell home and the hell out of here. I'm out. Uh, and then you do your thing. So uh, I, I don't think I would boil up and be pissed right there. You're, I think you're just in shock, and I think she kind of played it that way because she's kind of very quiet, and I think she's very lonely at the moment which is why she asked to go with him and being the good guy he is at the end Clooney wise he's like don't you don't want to come with me so I like that aspect of it and I think I probably would react similarly I don't think I mean would I ask for more money maybe but then again his side uh, his family died too so they're kind of alone in the universe yeah. now um, so. yeah yeah I guess if I thought a little bit more about yeah, my family died, but we potentially saved so many lives by killing so many vampires. Yeah, there, there. Yeah, there's that, and then you know, both sides, Clooney and Juliet Lewis, both lost their entire family. So, um, I don't know. I, it, I, it's a good question to ask. You know, you would like to ask <laughs> Juliet and Clooney and. Rodriguez and Tarantino, something like that. You know, that question, like, would, would there alternate endings to this of like, you know, her going crazy and pulling the gun on him or him going, her going off with him or what? But I think it ended fine. I think it just, they're both glad to be. I, yeah, out of I don't here. think it's quite as complex of a ending question as, you know, asking Richard Dreyfus about the ending of Close Encounters of the Third Kind, leaving his family when Steven Spielberg later says, now that he, after he had a family, he's like, I wouldn't have ended it that way that I did. And so I just wondered if, you know, you have your own family and you think a little bit more about that, if you would react any differently. You, it, it, it's surprising you bring that up because I am friends with somebody who uh, was um, down to the very last people who they, they still might be picked to go uh, on that Mars mission to live on Mars. And uh, this lady was on talk shows about it and everything. And she had a full family, husband and kids. And she was going to go. She's going up there to live, leave her family there. Because, and I, I absolutely asked her, like, and people have asked her, like, why would you do this? Like, you know, I'm doing something bigger than myself and family. You know, I'm going to colonize basically another planet. And so I think in that aspect of Richard Dreyfus going up, I think he's doing something bigger than his family and himself, you know, something for. Yeah. Like a lot of space movies deal with that. Ad Astra deals with that. And I, it's weird that I'm at this time in my life, a lot of the films I'm like beginning to notice them more, perhaps uh, these themes of the sacrifices that we make. And that's something that's really big in Ad Astra uh, you know, I don't know if you've seen that movie. I think you should see it. But Brad Pitt, you know, he has to hide his psychology uh, or how he's thinking. He can't show his emotions whatsoever because the idea is that 
in order to go out there, you can't have any ties back to Earth and can't have relationships and things like that. You just have to tuck it all away. Um, but just the whole idea of like just the sacrifices that we make and are they worth it? Um, and so I've been like thinking a lot about that and it's causing me to think more about my actions going forward um, in terms of like how how much longer am I going to be doing this film critic thing, which is me seeing 10 movies a week or watching them at home and not getting a lot of sleep, waking up early, going to bed late. And it's like, how long can you stay hungry? And I don't know. It's just like a lot of a lot of movies I'm noticing deal with that question. It's causing me to th- reflect on it a little bit more. Well, there you go. We got deep, deep into 69 of Dust Till Dawn. <laughs> we didn't know it, but uh, pussy, pussy, pussy. Come on in. <laughs> Bring us back down to our level, right? Yes. Uh, so that wraps up our 69th episode uh, by Bloody Podcast on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, and possibly perhaps coming very soon to iHeartRadio. We will figure that out soon. Um, but yeah, I'm Brian Kluger, Boomstick Comics and High Def Digest. You can find all sorts of Blu-ray reviews and movie reviews such as the Midsommar Blu-ray that just came out, as well as some of the latest streaming uh, stuff hitting 4K, all there for you to enjoy. And, of course, Preston can be found. You can find me at the Ditton Record Chronicle, DittonRC.com. I have... Man, I wrote so much this week. Uh... I got. I wrote five reviews and one interview piece with that Takashi Miike that you also did, Brian, for First Love. Um, so that movie's like out now. So that's one to see, um, uh, along with like Dolomite Fractured, uh, uh, L- the Laundromat, which we saw Brian too, and uh, what was that? Lucy in the Sky. <laughs> um, yeah, that was something. Um, so yeah, you can find most of my writing on dittonrc.com and then I'm a features editor at freshfiction.tv and that is where my uh, Takashi Miike interview is located. Hell so you can find it there. yes. Hell yes. Episode 69 in the bag. 69.1 will be up next week at some yes. point in time. Uh, well, we always love you sticking around for these 69 episodes. Um, send nudes to us <laughs> for our 69th episode. <laughs> Oh, uh, we love you. Oh, oh boy. Um, and uh, yeah, my we're, bloody we're, we're married. Come on. <laughs> yeah, but dudes, chicks, you know, whatever. We'll rate you. <laughs> um, it's it's Halloween. Send send horror nudes. I don't know. It's sixty nine. We gotta we gotta play into it. But uh, yes, Brian. It's like you can say whatever the hell you want, and but you're not on the internet, so you don't you you won't be affected. But I share this stuff. <laughs> online and i will get poked to death on twitter oh that's good though that's good they want to see what we say next i love it i love when you get poked preston <laughs> all right we'll be back next week <laughs>